it was a personal history and a business history. And then, you know, the little light bulb went off and thought, well, there are probably a lot of other businesses that want to tell their story. Welcome to the Life Story Coach podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing with your host, Amy Woods Butler. Hi guys, welcome to the show. This is where we talk about growing our life story business. Clients come to us because they want to create a book, a movie, an audio, or some other creative project where they can share their stories and their memories of life with their family and friends and with future generations. And today we're talking to David O'Neill from Story Trust. Before launching his life story company, David spent years in the publishing world developing educational software and books. And this is interesting, he has studied both economics and theology. Before doing life stories and before getting into publishing, he was a high school English and history teacher. And I I just love that because it it shows how varied the backgrounds are that we almost all of us have who come into this business. So David, I'm excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Amy. It's great to be with you. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about Story Trust? Um, just, Just give us a brief overview of what kind of services you provide and who your customers are. Sure. Um, I started Story Trust in 2007, and I think like a lot of personal historians and memoirs, it's, it came from a family experience of missing the opportunity to record family history and some family stories. And so that's what got me started doing it. And my main work today is to um, is as a writer. Um, I often describe myself as a family and business historian. So I do memoirs for individuals, couples, families, and for family businesses. Um, And I'm also a publisher. uh, And I do ghostwriting, oral histories, memoirs. um, And again, uh, histories of organizations and primarily very focused on family businesses. And with the family business books, are those intended for a wider readership or are those intended for the family? It depends on the project. I just finished one for a family here in Concord, Massachusetts. It's a family farm uh, that is celebrating its 100th anniversary. Mm. And uh, it's both a history book and a cookbook. They have a farm stand and a, a kitchen and so we printed twenty five hundred copies, I think. So they oh, they wow, sell it they sell it at one. the farm stand. Um, but primarily for the family work, it's privately published and it's maybe ten, fifteen, twenty five copies. But for mm-hmm. the family business clients, they often give one to every employee. Um, so the print runs can go into the thousands. Wow, that's really interesting. Okay, so I this is taking us a different direction than I thought it would. But, but I'm, I'm curious because I think that is a very um, good, solid niche for life story writers is to, to get into the histories of, of family businesses. Um, you said that you had a print run of 2,500. How long are the books and how long did the project take to, you know, from start to completion? Um, it depends on when you start. I started the project four years ago as an oral history project for the the parents. So it was, the, I consider them the second generation. It was uh, the husband's parents who started the farm and 
1918. <laughs> and so it's, uh, now their grandchildren are are teenagers and involved in the farm. So we're into four generations. And um, so we did that and they put the oral histories aside. And then about a year ago, I, I got a call from the daughter saying, can we put together a book and get it done by the end of the year? So that was February uh, of 19, of 2018 and we got it done by Thanksgiving. So And and that deadline um just to clarify that deadline was because they were celebrating their 100th anniversary, is that right? Yeah, we wanted to get the books done in the calendar year to mark mm-hmm. the anniversary. So, uh it was a bit of a scramble, but we made uh, some important choices about the length and how many recipes were going to go in it and uh so uh it came together very nicely. It's a, a quite a quite an unusual project, and, and and again, so from from that phone call when she said they wanted to do some a book version, um, how many months was that? Oh, I guess it was eight months, really. Oh boy, that is fast. Yeah, very fast. <laughs> did you do more interviews, or did you pull any of the the content that you had gotten from the oral histories and use that in the the text of the book? That was one of the ways that we could make it more efficient is that we used the interviews that I'd done three years prior and mm. I didn't have to, I think I did one additional interview with a family member to get some additional stories, but most of the material was gathered during those initial interviews. So that made it go a lot faster. So that it was just the writing and the compiling. And then the, the daughter, uh, who's the chef in the family, she's the one who compiled the recipes. So um, so those projects could happen uh, simultaneously in order to get the content together in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And back when they initially, when the family initially contacted you four years ago, um, was there any talk of doing this spinoff book or did they really just want to concentrate on the oral history of their family? It was really just the oral history of the family. And, you know, this dovetails with uh, the marketing in that I had read uh, in a local magazine, a profile of the daughter um, as she was a, a woman in family business. I think that's was the, the theme of the article and so, uh, since I focus on family businesses, I reached out to her and I said, "Hey, are you ever? Would you ever be interested in doing a an oral history project or a book with your parents?" And she said, "Yes." <laughs> mm. So, uh, so, but that we did the oral history, but then there was this long pause in between, and so a little persistence and uh, goes a long way. Did you reach out to them again? Were you aware that they had this 100 year anniversary coming up, or? Or I did, was it entirely on their side that they thought of the idea of doing the book? It was their idea. I didn't know that their anniversary was coming up. Just it came directly from them. Right. Have, having worked with me prior and knew that, that they had the material. Right. It's a it's a natural that they would have, you know, if they have this big project coming up, why would they look for anybody else, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, th- you know, that's interesting because I think when I first started the story scribe, which is my life story writing business, um, uh, the very, very early days, I sent out a few, um, you know, I was, I was knocking on a few people's doors um, and I never heard anything back. And I very quickly decided that that was not the way to, to find business. 
but um, it's worked for you. And has is that something that you do regularly? Do you have any kind of system where you're reaching out to people or is it just sort of when the urge strikes? And have you ever found, have you ever been hired for other projects because of you actually reaching out and, and introducing yourself? I have. Um, and it, it comes from, uh, I think, the work that I started very early on in marketing was to focus on networking and to develop a, a network so that I would be able to get projects through uh, referrals and not through advertising or some other methods. But that's how I've built the business is uh, uh, by going to lots of networking events and going, you know, eating a lot of hors d'oeuvres and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, shaking a lot of hands and, uh, and just doing the uh, foot leather um, work of uh, just going around because the calculation I made early on was that um, I couldn't afford much for advertising. I, I did try a couple advertising uh, attempts, but they failed. Um, and I figured my time was, uh, at least early on, uh, it was just my own and I didn't put much of a value on it um, in terms of dollars because uh so rather than dollars out to pay for advertising, it was just my time. So, right. so that was the calculation. And, um, and it was a lot of one thing led to another, led to another, led to another. And I can point back to the very first steps I made in 2007 that are still kind of paying benefits. Wow. So, Good for you. So it sounds like a, it's a strategy that definitely worked. Um, do you still attend networking? Are you still doing all of the, the networking? I'm not doing exactly what I was doing before, but I still use networking as a, a main driver for business. That's a topic that I want to jump into. You do some marketing to some specialized groups, and, and we want to get into that first. But before before we go there, and that's for people who are curious, we're going to talk a little bit about your work and your outreach to wealth managers. Um, but when you when you first started, because I think there's probably quite a few listeners who are just now getting into life story work, and you found that the networking, um, you know, was an investment in your time, but it paid off. Uh, do you think that there is, um, is, are any networking groups okay? Are there certain specific types of groups that are better than others? In my experience, some are better than others. Um, the when I started, it all began with a speed networking event at my local chamber of commerce. Mm. That's what kicked off the whole thing. So um, I I thought this might I've heard about the chamber, and I I thought this might be a, just a place to start and get word out about what I was doing, and. Um, Speed networking is like uh, speed dating. You know, you spend five minutes talking to someone, a bell rings, and then people move to the next person in line and, and you chat with them. And so it's a very efficient way of, of getting to know people in the community. So I would encourage anybody who's starting or planning to start a personal history business or any business for that matter is to contact your local chamber of commerce. Um, because uh, if I was thinking about my marketing as concentric circles of my immediate neighborhood and, and city, and then expanding out geographically to 
neighboring towns and along uh, major highways and corridors to uh, you know, the idea was let me get to places where it's efficient to to get to clients mm, and right, um, right. and also <laughs> I gotta have in, that practical thing in mind, right? Right, it can't and, be to the moon and back, right? <laughs> that's right, and uh, and I figured, well, I live in the western suburbs of Boston, and so there are it's a highly educated, affluent uh, part of the world, and so uh, I thought, well, if if I could reach people here. Um, this is the, the profile of the demographics of, of people that I, I'd like to have as clients. So why not just start locally and, and try to expand from there? So the local chamber of commerce was a great place to start. And so after I went to that uh, initial event, I met someone or at that event, I met a local attorney and he said, oh, have you ever been to a, a networking group? I said, no. And he invited me. And so I attended uh, one of uh there are several different kinds of networking groups. Um, this one is called BNI, Business Network International. And there are chapters of BNI all over the world, uh, internationally, take international seriously. And I think just even in within a five-mile radius, there are probably 15 chapters here mm, in the Boston wow. area. And uh, so BNI focuses on uh, building your business through referrals. And, uh, and they use the word referral very specifically. And referral is, um, I uh, meet you, I like you, I think you're a good person, and I, th I, I think you're a good professional, and I recommend you to somebody who I think would benefit from your services. Um, the, the kind of most obvious example is in, in real estate. There are a lot of real estate people in BNI. So, uh, if, if I attend the meeting as a member and I know someone who's looking to buy a house and I meet a real estate agent and I like the person, I refer the real estate agent and say, Hey, you know, talk to them. But the referral specifically is that I connect the two people that I say to my friend, I know. Sally, the real estate agent, I'd like to introduce the two of you. Uh, would you be open for me to me doing that? And then you do that. Now, that sounds like, a. Um, how is that different than anything else? Well, it's very different than I take Sally, the real estate agent's card, and I give it to my friend and say, here, you can call them. That's fine. Or uh, I mentioned to Sally, oh, I have a friend who's uh looking to buy a house, here's their name. That's okay too, but that's, um, it's a little, still a little cold. You know, it's not as a, it's not a warm introduction. A warm introduction is I, uh, talk to my friend and I say, Oh, I, I have a real estate agent who might be able to help you. Uh, could I, uh, introduce you to together? And if the person says yes, then I introduce them. I maybe through a, an email introduction, email, or I ask my real estate agent uh, friend, a new friend or new colleague to contact the person who's in, who needs that uh, service. And so uh, those differences between those different actions I described are very subtle, but they're, they're very different between 
uh, it's the the difference between just passing along a card and making that warm introduction. So that's what BNI really encourages. And the other benefit of BNI is, um, or uh, there are other organizations. One is called Le Tip, L E, capital T I P. Oh, I'm uh, not familiar with that one. Um, and uh, there are others. I think Tiger Twenty One is another one. So you just find which uh, you know local networking groups there are, and the cham- your local chamber of commerce will have. Well, one. how does this fit in then with? Because um, I I've done some um, some networking groups as well, um, mostly because a woman that hired me to do her book. It's really the only business book I've ever done, and and the the theme was social networking, not social media, but but actually getting in front of people. So so it had a lot to do with networking groups, and you know she told me I needed to start going to some of the networking groups, um, and what I found, um, I, I I think I had trouble. You know, I didn't have trouble telling people what I did, but everybody that was at all of the groups that I happened to attend, they were very, um, you know, there were financial advisors, there were real estate people, um, there were people maybe selling things, you know, like uh, some sort of products. Um, and the the referrals between people seemed to be very business-based. So I guess my question for you is two-part. Um with is that what you found because you know our our projects very often are you know they have nothing to do with the realm of business but with being with these kinds of networking groups like BNI or even the chamber which you know by definition is for people who have some business interest in a in a in a locale um were you finding that that was most helpful for the projects that were about business histories or was it also for people who wanted to do the the personal life stories? Mostly, it was personal life stories. And oh, isn't that interesting? Okay, yeah, exactly what I the opposite of what I would have thought. Okay, it. Um, but even but I should say that uh, early on, I didn't have business histories on my radar as something that was something I could do. So it didn't even dawn on me early on. I built my business probably in the first five or six years just on memoirs and personal histories with no relation to a, a business history. And it's only in the last, you know, eight, seven, eight years that I've done the business histories. So and it, was that a conscious decision to to start doing that or did you kind of fall into it because somebody asked you to do one? Yes, for some uh, it was a it was a personal history and a business history and then, you know, the little light bulb went off and thought, well, there're probably a lot of other businesses that want to tell their story. So, so that's what got me started on that path. Um, but back to the networking, there is a lot of what's called a uh, uh, B2B, you know, business to business, but uh, we're kind of in a B2C, a business to consumer market. And the thing that you have to find is that the purpose of, of these networking groups is not, you're not selling to the people who are in the room. Mm -hmm. You're not selling to the other members. You're selling to the people they know. So that's where the referral comes in where, um, and we could spend a whole segment on uh, networking groups and how to take advantage of them and what's required. But often it involves, for an overview, going to a regular meeting. Uh, BNI is every week, um, usually at seven in the morning. 
and uh, which is great because you get the meeting out of the way and you, you've got the day ahead of you. And um, there's a, a schedule or routine to the meeting. And one of them is to give a 45 second or a 60 second commercial. So one of the benefits is it helps you hone that commercial or sometimes it's called an elevator pitch to to refine your message so that if someone asks you what you do, you can say it in a very succinct way and one that uh, prompts further discussion uh, with whoever mm-hmm. it is that you're talking to. And um, and then the other part of the, biz- the meeting is to actually pass referrals to each other. But that passing of referrals happens while the other members are out out and about during their week and they, you know, they might run into somebody who's got an interesting story and they'll say, Hey, have you ever thought about documenting this life story that you're telling me about? And the person would say, well, no, or I thought about it, but I don't know where to turn. And they say, well, I know a gal or I know a guy in my networking group who does this. So that's the, that's the, the point is that it's, um, that these other members of the group are your eyes and ears out. You know, if you can't afford to buy ads on local radio or local television or placement ads in a newspaper, they're the ones who are your sales force out there on your behalf, uh, listening and, uh, and, you know, alerting you that there's somebody who's looking for your services. So that's the, that's the whole point of it. And it can be very effective. I mean, uh, it's, it's most these networking groups are most effective for the example that I gave, like a real estate agent. You know, uh, every real estate transaction needs an agent, it needs a an attorney, it needs a someone to finance it, a banker needs an, an appraiser. So those four professions are always referring business back and forth. So what, as a personal historian, what I try to do is to find who are the people in my circle who would be most likely refer business to me. And so, um, and that's what got me tuned into financial advisors and wealth managers as a, um, another profession that is, uh, in, uh, an adjacent and overlapping business. And they have clients who might benefit from my services. That's the conclusion of part one of our interview with David O'Neill. And uh, if there's any way of making a cliffhanger out of a podcast episode on life story business, uh, I'm not sure that that's possible, but I'm hoping that's what I just pulled off. I wanted to split this episode into two parts because David really has so much that we can learn from, um, some great ideas that we can use to look at other niches, um, ways of expanding our client base, just like he did with adding a new focus on doing business histories. Next week, we're going to hear more about networking, but with the focus really on the type of referral partner that David has identified as being the most helpful for growing his business, and that is financial advisors and wealth managers. There is a huge movement in the in the financial industry to find ways for people who work within that industry to bring more value to their clients, and that's where life story and personal history can come in. That will be coming next week in part two of our interview with David O'Neill. If you'd like to see everything that we talked about in this episode, including how to reach David, go to thelifestorycoach.com and look for episode 50. Thanks for listening. And until next time, go out and save someone's story.